Hello and welcome back to Positive Parenting. This is our fourth episode in this book. I am your host, Hanani Abraham. Thank you again to all those that have reached out and critiqued little nuances that I've made, whether it sounds, help with regarding recordings and how and when to post them. I appreciate everyone's feedback, so thank you very much for that. We will start today, Chapter 1, What is the Goal? Which, obviously, that's a good place to start regarding parenting and how we should be going about who we are as parents. And, again, please remember, while I am reading this book as a trained therapist, I am reading this as someone that has looked up to and respected and had an opportunity to meet him a few times, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Torsky. We are going through the readings of his books. As much as my 10 plus years of experience is something that I have, I have pride for, but at the same time, as a parent of a few kids and having a teenager myself, I don't think I am an expert in parenting in any way, shape or form. Yes, I deal with parents, I deal with teenagers constantly. I think parenting is one of those things that, yes, is a part of us that we try to be as prepared as possible, but at the same time, there's a certain amount that we are inadequate and we don't know what we're doing. And I think if we're able to admit that, that can sort of help with the growth that we can have together with our kids in this journey. So, page 21, chapter 1. What is the goal? At the risk of appearing absurd, I must ask prospective parents the question. Why do you want to have children? As I read that, the first thing that comes to mind is something that I know my in-laws were asking all their kids as they were getting married. Is, okay, so you want to get married? You know what that means? You know that you can be a parent soon? Do you know that you know you might have sleepless nights for a very long time? Do you know what the other responsibilities of taking care of another human being are? And they would grill them in a very serious way to say, hey, marriage sounds like fun, and there's a lot of people that your friends are getting married now, but that doesn't mean that it's all roses all the time, because there's a lot that goes on in a marriage, and obviously one of the, one of the reasons why people get married is to have children. So that question that Dr. Torsley is asking is, I think, a, a very, very important one. Why do you want to have children? In every other venture in life, our methodology is generally determined by the goal that we desire. For example, my goal is to build a house. I must decide on a plan. Do I have enough money? Can I obtain a mortgage? How do I go about finding a reliable contractor? How do I wish the house be furnished? Many questions may arise, and they will all be dealt with in the light of my ultimate goal for this particular project. There should thus be a try part composition to our behavior. A goal, a plan, action. If we begin to act without a goal or a plan, we will end up in a chaotic situation. Just a bit of thought will reveal that we go through a similar process for every undertaking, even though we may not be conscious of this. The nature of the plan and the action may be different according to our reason of the end product. If I wish to build a house for commercial purposes, to lease to tenants rather than for a personal dwelling, I may well choose a different design, different building materials, and different furnishings. 
to look for a plan before one has a clear understanding of the goal is both unwise and totally confusing if you're not going to do it. It is therefore not quite as absurd as it may seem at first to discussing techniques and parenting to ask, why do you wish to be a parent? This is one time where the stakes are too great to accept the answer because I have had the occasion to talk with young women who are distressed because after two years of marriage they have not been able to conceive. While their concern is easily easily understandable, they invariably mention how distressed they are that all their peers are pushing baby carriages and they have nothing to display. While I truly feel for them and I can identify with this distress, there is no escaping the conclusion that while this is by far n- not the major factor, nonetheless for them having a child is at least part, partially in an ego thing, an ego, meaning that we want to show off, we want to be able to, to do certain things, which is why parents act a certain way in public and act differently than they would in private. The child's fulfilling the ego need for the parent is perfectly normal, but this must be recognized and considered in the parenting process. Having a child to satisfy an ego may still be operative when the child is 8, 12, or 16, as well as when he is an infant in the carriage. Thus, while pretty normal, it can affect parenting. I think the example that I think of is the most recent one that I had is um, a parent that was having problems with a child that has been diagnosed with a mild case of ADHD, which is probably one of the more overdiagnosed um, parts of the DSM-10, especially in children. But I know this these parents had a real psychological assessment done. Their child is on medications. And it takes a while in the morning for the child to get ready for school. And one of the things with ADHD is you have to break down tasks. You have to say that, okay, so now get out of bed. Now we go to the bathroom and wash up and brush your teeth. Now we come back to the room. Now we make our bed. Now we take our clothes out of the closet. Next we would take off and so on and so forth. Until the person is transformed from getting out of bed until actually being dressed. And sometimes that can, that can take a long time. So the conversation we end up happening with the mother... The mother was really upset that her, her daughter's hair wasn't put in a pony before she left the school. And she was livid. She was really, really upset. Now, her reason being is because, well, she needs her hair done. Well, why, why does the hair need to be done? Because she doesn't look good. Well, is that because you think she doesn't look good or because she doesn't look good? Do you feel like her missing the bus is more important than her making the bus? And those few extra minutes that she gets with her peers in a non-school environment which is so healthy and vital to overall social, especially for, for a young eight, nine-year-old kid, what's more important? And is the reason why you want the here done, is it because of you, that you want to see your child look good, or because of them? And that's something that we have to look out for as parents all the time. There is a very enlightening episode in the Torah, in the Old Testament, where our matriarch Rachel, who was childless, was envious of her sister Leah. And in desperation, cried out to Jacob, her husband, If I cannot have children, then I might as well be dead. Jacob, who loved Rachel very, very much, responds to her angrily. This is in uh, Genesis 30. In uh, Beratius, Lamed, Pasuk Aleph, and Bez, the first and second verse in chapter 30. A bit later, the Torah 
states that God remembered Rachel and she conceived, which is about uh, 20 verses later. Rashi, one of the main commentators, comments that Rachel merited a child because she had selfly yielded her beloved Yaakov to her sister Leah. And although divine wisdom was deprived of her when of, of children until now, it was this virtue that was her salvation. By, by putting needs of someone else first, that's what ended up making her have a child. We may not be capable of achieving the, the great spirituality of the matriarchs and patriarchs, yet they are meant to serve as models for this idea. This is a great example of something that I just read recently. In the first 61 chapters in the Old Testament, in the Bible, in the Torah, there are only three active commandments that God gives us, which is fascinating. If the, if the, if the Torah is there for us to learn from, shouldn't there be constant rules the entire time? And if the first 61 chapters of the Torah, which is through Barathees and some of Shemos, why is it that there are only three commandments, three mitzvahs? The answer is, is because there is so much to learn from actions of others, i.e. our matriarchs, our patriarchs, Adam and, uh, Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, his wife, Zipporah, Miriam, Paro, all those people that have gone through so many, and a huge part and vital part of our history, that itself is Torah, that itself has a lesson to be learned, and this is a perfect example of that. When we have a situation where she became selfless, therefore she was able to go ahead and have a child. What the Torah, continues Dr. Torsky over here, is teaching us, is that the saintly matriarch Rachel had momentarily been overcome by a personal interest and had to have a child. This is why Jacob replied with rebuke, that one must submit to the supreme will of God. And she quickly recovered her lofty spiritual status of total selflessness that had been characterized by, by her willingness to yield her beloved ya- uh, um, Yaakov, her, Jacob, to her sister rather than to allow Leah to, to be publicly humiliated. Having shed her personal interest and having returned to her lofty spiritual level, she was given a child who indeed became Joseph the, uh, the, the Tzaddik. The average mother cannot be Rachel and does, not have, and does have an ego interest in being a parent. Again, I must stress, this is perfectly normal, yet should be reckoned with. And I think what he's trying to say is, is, is for this concept to be made aware in what it is that we're, that we're doing constantly. Are we doing things for ourselves? Are we doing things for the best interest of our child? Or are we doing things for what the child needs? That's a very big difference, and I think that's one going to be one of the keys that we're going to talk about here. It is too simplistic, continues Dr. Torsky. By the way, we're on page 23, the second uh, paragraph. It is too simplistic to, say, simplistic to say that language determines thought. But on the other hand, language certainly influences thought, or at the very least, gives us clues to levels of meanings that may not be obvious or points out assumptions that were not immediately evident. The phrase, to have children, is a very interesting one. Let's take some time to listen closely. How many children do you have? Do you want to have children? When you... When do you plan to have a child? Do you want to have a boy or a girl? Having implies a possession, something that we own, something that we acquire out of our own way of doing things. In and of itself, having something 
implies a state. To have a house implies that I own it, that it is mine to do as I please, that a transaction has taken place and that I am in full control over that acquisition. Since I chose to make this acquisition, it enhances me, and if it does not, my goal may be to exchange this acquisition for something that suits me better. In addition, the relationship between an owner and his possession is a simple two-way relationship, the owner and the object owned. From a Jewish perspective, says Dr. Torsky, having children is, first of all, not a matter of possession, and secondly, it is not a matter of a two-way relationship between parent and child. Let's first talk about this first part over here. That's 100% true. It's something that we already talked about regarding uh, Samson and Rafal Hirsch, talking about the concept of a child. Children are not ours. They're put here in our hands for us to do the best job possible so that they can be the best version of themselves. The Talmud says that there are three partners in every child, the, uh, the God, the father, and the mother. This is in Kedushin, Gemara Kedushin, on the uh, Lamed Amid Beis, 30, 30b. The same way that God is involved in a Jewish marriage, in our kitchens, in our sleeping, in our awakenings, so too is he involved in the enterprise of parenting. This means that there needs to be a space in our child-rearing equation for God. With God as an intimate partner in parenting, we can no longer talk of having a child in the simple possessive fashion implied by the ordinary language. Rather, having a child means to be entrusted with a responsibility. A child is a gift of God chosen chosen for us specifically and entrusted to us for safekeeping to be raised and, and, and treasured. As a gift from God, a child, any child, cannot be looked upon as an accident or a mistake. Rather, we need to believe, hard, hard as, it, as it may be at times, that our children are as perfect match for us as we are for them. The same way that a marriage holds to its potential for growth to each partner, it is precisely in the affirmation of this match that there is a potential for good and for growth. So basically what we're saying here is the importance to realize that children are given for us, given to us, for us to look out and look over for, for God. And they're not, it's not necessarily something that is, it's ours. It's not a, it's not a possession. And we're just taking care of it for others. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. And hopefully in our next episode, we will try to get as through as much of this chapter as possible. Please reach out with any questions, concerns, or comments to koshercounseling at gmail.com.